0: This is the Busted Open Podcast.
1: You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on
2: Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156.
0: Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, Mark Henry and Bully Ray, we look back at Bray Wyatt's promo from Friday Night Smackdown, and I think a first that we've ever seen from Bray Wyatt. We'll explain on the Busted Open Podcast. Also, we talk to WWE Hall of Famer Diamond Dallas Page right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Let's get into SmackDown from this past Friday night. And probably the biggest thing was what we saw to finish SmackDown on Friday night, and that is the promo from uh, Bray Wyatt and an interesting promo from Bray Wyatt. Bully, what did you think of, of that promo that finished off SmackDown from Bray Wyatt Friday night? I think
3: that the new direction that they're going in is the real Bray Wyatt. I think a couple Mm -hmm. of weeks ago when we were talking, I said I wanted to see the initial version of Bray Wyatt, the first version. And now I think we're getting even more in that. I think we're getting Bray Wyatt stripped down to his bare bones. I think we're seeing Wyndham Rotundo. I think we're seeing who he genuinely is, the human being, the kid that was born born to Mike Rotunda and his wife. I think he wants to be just himself, but it seems like by the image that popped up on the screen, speaking to him, he's going to be haunted and tormented by the demons that are running through his head that he has created. At least that's what I got from that segment. He was, he sounded very emotional. He sounded very nervous he he sounded apprehensive. He sounded like he was ready to bare his soul to the audience. And then all of a sudden that video aired and then they went off the air. So initially, that's what I'm getting from the Bray Wyatt story. What do you think, Mark, from what
0: we saw from Bray Wyatt on Friday night?
2: You know, I like the multiple personalities, Dave. And um, I think that this will be a good place. Uh, to sometimes we talk about the haunted, him being haunted, mm-hmm. like that would be great for him to be in a match as himself, and then, you know, the the switch flips, and now he's 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 the uh, the swamp Bray Wyatt with the family, or the, the 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 switch flips again, and now he's in the Firefly Funhouse, and the 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 switch flips again. And now he's the fiend. Like, if he could go through all of those characters in one guy and fight it, then you can use, you could do so much with him. I mean, I think that, that would the versatility of the guy and the vulnerability of the character uh, could all come into play because he could get beat as Bray Wyatt. But if he's in one of those
0: other modes – it would be a lot diff,
2: a lot more difficult to
0: beat him. Yeah, and and from what you're saying, Mark, and what you're saying to Bully, what I saw on Friday night watching Bray Wyatt give that promo in the ring is something that I, I, you know what, totally took me off guard. I mean, the last thing I thought I was going to see from Bray Wyatt is him in the middle of the ring talking about the losses that he's had in his family and who's passed away and and being let go by the WWE and being in tears. Like, of of all the, like you just said, Mark, the different characters that he's given us, the one thing he hasn't given us is the real man. And on Friday, we saw that real man. So I want to go back to Friday and what Bray Wyatt had to say emotionally in the ring on SmackDown.
4: And this... This, this right here, this is just me, okay. You know, this is a, a version of me that I've, I've never got to introduce to you guys before. This is just me, being me, genuine me for the first time. I just want to share with you, you know, this. This past year in my life, I've, I, I lost a lot of things. I lost, I lost my career. I lost my self confidence. I lost two people who were very, very close to me and I lost my my way and the thing about that is, is that I can sit here right now today and I can look all of you in the eyes and I can say that you were there when I was weak, when I was vulnerable, when I was down so I just wanted to say thank you, you all saved my life. Oh little one, my little, little
2: one, come, come, come with me, your life is done, forget the future, the future. forget the past, life is over, breathe your life, you got no idea who you're doing, do you, oh, but you will, <laughs> you will.
0: Wow, I mean, so so unique and so different. Like Bray said, for a first time ever, as I said earlier, we're seeing the man emotionally stripped down in tears, talking about losing his career, talking about the loss of his friend, the loss of a loved one. And then, you know, again, the WWE reminding you of the story going in and what could possibly be the story coming out. Guys, I don't remember a promo... Like the one that we saw on Friday, and I think we're starting to see. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I can't really put a definitive, like, all right, hook on what we're going to see moving forward from Bray Wyatt, and I think that's the fun of what we saw on Friday night with Bray Wyatt. Dave, we talk about this all the time,
2: especially bullying, feeling how to how to how to bring people in to exposing a feeling something that makes you want to watch how better than to get somebody to feel something than to expose your soul and say hey this is who i really am this is what i really went through and i was down and out and if it wasn't for y'all I don't know what would have happened. And then you have this torment. I'm going to make you know more about yourself. And the characters that he's going to be playing are going to be fighting each other. We're going to see a conflicted Bray Wyatt now, which is going to be very entertaining because I don't know if there's anybody that I've seen in the last 20 years that played that role better than he did. You can you can start naming people and I'll shoot them down. Like he has been very convincing when it comes to the the confliction and the confusion that's going on in his head. Randy Orton here voices. But Bray Wyatt, he is all of those voices. That's it. Like it's, it's. He's very good at it, Dave. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about what we're gonna get.
3: You know, in watching him and in listening to him, I was saying to myself, "This reminds me of something. This reminds me of a character," but I couldn't put my finger on it. And then when we just played the audio, it came to me. You guys remember the movie Red Dragon? in the uh, silence of the lambs uh story yes. yeah yeah he reminds me of francis dollarhide who is played by ralph fiennes the guy who had the tattoo of the red dragon on his back It almost seems like when Francis Dollarhide met the blind girl, he wanted to be good, but the voices in his head wouldn't allow him to be good. And he's turning, he turned back into the monster. It almost seems like Bray Wyatt coming out as Wyndham Rotunda or Bray Wyatt, whatever you want to say, in his purest form, wanted to be good, wanted to bear his soul. But the voices in his head, the characters that he's portrayed just won't let him and that's the that's the the road i think they're going down got to be careful though in you know with with the fiend they they painted themselves into such a corner where this guy was impervious to pain we saw how that match went down in the cage with seth rollins they have to be able to have This depth of character in which Bray Wyatt can still wrestle a match and work a match. Remember, guys, my biggest fear for The Fiend was, what happens when the bell rings and the house lights go up? Now what? Now he's just another pro wrestler in a ring. You have this character that has so many layers. It's so deep but then once the bell rings you're a pro wrestler and you got to wrestle a match and that's where the disconnect came for me with the fiends that's why they had to do all of these gimmicky matches and the red lighting which i was a fan of at first and then i and then i wound up not liking so it's going to be interesting to see how they progress with this character and how this character actually works matches once the bell rings and the house lights go up
0: yeah like Bully. i, I Oh, go ahead, Mark.
2: I'm sorry, Dave. What if he's having that match that you're talking about? And then all of a sudden, the red light strobes, and he's he looks and he's confused, and it, he becomes and now he's fighting different. He looks different. Like you can do, like a, some of the, the music plays from Carrying the Lantern, Bray Wyatt. Or the Swamp Bray Wyatt. Like, there's so much that you can do that can put bells and whistles to make this thing work. To me, Mark, it almost gets too gimmicky. You know? Um, He's a gimmick. The, the, huh? He's the ultimate
3: gimmick. But to me, uh, yes, he is the ultimate gimmick. But to me, it can get a little too gimmicky at times. Even with The Undertaker. The Undertaker was was the ultimate gimmick. But when the lights came on and the bell rang, he wrestled matches as the Undertaker, and you knew what you were getting. Sometimes I'm confused by what I get with Bray Wyatt or The Fiend. And, and I, maybe I shouldn't even say Bray Wyatt, because when Bray Wyatt was in the Wyatt family, I think the matches were a lot easier to understand and digest than they were with The Fiend. I hope they stay away from the Fiend character because when it comes to the Fiend and actual wrestling,
1: If you missed anything this week on Mad Dog Sports Radio, I got you covered. It's Mike Bapchik's Morning After, where we play back the best clips of the week and recap in a way you have never heard before. It's a roast like no other, and no one is safe. Not Mad Dog, not anyone. This is a Morning After walk of shame you actually won't regret. You can find Mike Bapchik's Morning After on SiriusXM, Pandora, Stitcher, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode.
0: WWE Hall of Famer DDP joins us here on Busted Open. Sir, how are you this morning? Good,
1: man. Can you guys hear me?
0: We can, can you hear you, yes.
1: Okay, cool. Loud and clear. Was,
0: oh, good, man. I
1: just got done kicking my own ass, man. <laughs> you, heal my, you beat myself up
0: in the gym. Ugh. Good for you. You look fantastic. You sound fantastic. And uh, I'm guessing from what you're saying, you feel fantastic as well.
1: Yeah, dude. i uh, just got back from Alaska. I was spent the last uh two weeks up there, got home a couple days ago. Uh it was a beautiful country, man. That, that that's God's country. <laughs> Those there were so many mountains I couldn't believe it, man. They were everywhere. So I had a good time. Hey, I went out to the, the or the or, I went to a place called the Boreal Space Camp and they had like the domes. So you're like laying in bed, and it's all glassed out. And you can watch the aurora borealis slide in, which is really crazy. You know, it was, uh, looks like something out of a fuck, out of a, out of a, you know, a, a horror movie or something. The, the slime coming in—it was really cool-looking, super cool. Uh
2: man, I, I've never to been. Ta- I love that. See that?
1: Yeah, it's a trip everyone should take, man. Absolutely, it's so beautiful out there. What did the, the the natural steams out there? We drove all over, man, and that's a big ass state. <laughs> that's a big ass. That's like Texas.
0: Um, I want we wanted to get you on this morning to talk uh, tales from the territories again. Uh, already a hit show, everybody's talking about it. The third episode you're involved in, and that's looking back at the AWA. I think about the the first time DDP that you were a guest on Busted Open back. In the days when I used to host with Doug Mortman, and I think it was about 2010, we had you on as a guest, and we talked a lot uh, that morning uh, about the AWA. And again, you know, hearing your story, getting into pro wrestling at the age of 31, where you know, hey, you just wanted to be a manager. You're happy being a manager, and that that is the beginning for you entering the world of pro wrestling in the AWA at that time.
1: Yeah, and uh, the only reason I was happy being a manager because I thought I was too old. At yeah. that time, I was thirty-one years old, and you three guys, especially Bubba and and Mark, really know how hard it is to get into a major promotion. You're not really doing it. Uh, you you don't know anybody <laughs> like so. You know, it's really crazy how my thing came together, but it was a friend of mine uh named Smitty who was I was doing his sports talk show and uh not the Smitty who was the comedian, Bob but you do remember him, right? Yeah. Uh but it was another guy named Smitty who had uh had seen you know, me talking about, you know, the they were looking for the voice that came from my nightclub, because occasionally I might throw in, oh, yeah, don't miss hot legs contest. Oh, yeah, dig it. You know, I might throw in Macho or Hulk or Jesse, but I also use synthesizer voices and stuff. So in Fort Myers, the town that just got destroyed by that hurricane, feels so bad for those people, man. They got beat up bad, especially the beach. Um or anybody near the water. But, uh, I, I had started this, uh, you know, I had this club down there and I was doing these commercials and it was a thing called the party news network interviewed me. And at some point they said, where does the voice come from? And it was a pair of sunglasses there and through the sunglasses on. I said, the voice comes from diamond Dallas page. Daddy. I was born to be a professional wrestling manager. And we were just kidding around about it. And You know, just talking, you know, smack, and I tried to wrestle when I was 23, and it led to, you know, it led to um, this guy Smitty put me on his show and wanted me to be on with Captain Lou Albano, and I got to do it with the captain, and I got to do another show with, uh, with, um, with, um, Oh God, uh, Bob, uh, Sarge, Sarge, uh, um, Sergeant Slaughter, Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah. Sarge. He was, he was such a class act. He was such a cool guy and still is today. He remembers that, that first thing I did. And I, he, this guy, Smitty said, you got to make a tape up. You got to make up a tape of you doing something. So I put three wrestlers who want, who guys who wanted to be wrestlers, not who were wrestlers, not who were the boys. They wanted to be wrestlers, and I made this videotape with them. I sent it to the AWA, and two weeks later they called me. The only reason it happened, we all know back, you know, Vince was taking all of the top talent from the AWA alone. He took Hulk, he took Jesse. He took Gene Okerlund. Hyper. He took Bobby the Brain. I mean, whoa. Those are all A-list guys, right? Uh, and But they were losing other guys. And then also Crockett, they were trying to build their thing there, you know, uh, before it was even WCW. So they were stripping talent, too. And Paul E., Paul Heyman, had just left the AWA that when I when they, when they called me to, you know, to to see if I, you know, they wanted to bring me in for a tryout. And then when I told them that none of my guys could wrestle, they were like, what, why would you even send us a tape? And I was like, Hey, it's like, you know, it's like a secret society. Nobody can figure out how to get into professional wrestling. And it was like, don't call us. We'll call you. And what happened was Heyman, he left. And he went, he took the Midnight Express and went to Crockett, which became WCW, and it left a huge void for a young guy that could talk. And Ganya Greg Gagne himself, called me and said, we're going to give you an opportunity. Bring all those crazy clothes you wear and a couple of those hot diamond dolls, and we're going to give you an opportunity. And that's how I got in, man.
3: You know. So, Paige, do you remember your first day in the AWA, your first time in the locker room? And what was that like for you?
1: It was unbelievable. It was like nothing I ever expected. You have to remember, I wrestled three times when I was 23, hurt my knee, and I got derailed because I ended up while I was trying to recover from injury. I got to, I started running nightclubs, little small ones, with that built. And Bubby, you know, you know all about that. And now I'm in the AWA. Wahoo McDaniels is the agent who's in the locker room. The other one was the crippler, Ray Stevens. This is right at the end for these guys. And so I'm around them. Kurt Henning is still up. He's three months away from becoming Mr. Perfect. He hasn't bleached blonde his hair yet, you know. He's not in the he's, he's in shape, but not in what he would be. And I brought this girl named Leanne with me, and she was a chick that we used to go out once in a while, and she was friggin' hot. And I here, wait, where's that picture at? Uh, God, I had normally had that picture right up front here. Oh, wait, here it is. This is from that day day one and i know it is because that's the only time lee came with me so i get over there i get to um the showboat which is a shithole you know little way off the strip (laughs) and I put, I have a trunk of, I wore leopard skin jackets and zebra skin boots. I had holes in my jeans. This is a, this is a picture of DDP before I ever get to the AWA. Yo, look at that, man. Yo, I, I wore all that sure. shit in the nightclub. I wore, all, I was Diamond Dallas Page back then. In Fort Myers, this isn't New York City or Dallas or LA. <laughs> this is Fort Myers. So... I, um, I get to the, the building, but well, I not to the building yet, I get to the hotel room. I go downstairs and Vern Gagne is there and I'll never forget it. He's, he's, at, he's at, the, he's at the table where the, uh, announcers would be, and he's leaned over and he's writing something. And I come walking up looking like I do with my cowboy boots on and you got cowboy boots they are like two and a half inch heels. So I'm like six, seven and he turns around and he goes, Oh my God. Hey, I go, I go, I'm Diamond Dallas page. He goes, I know who you are. He goes, God, you gotta be the biggest manager of all time. And you would (laughs) think that would have killed me. Right. But they needed somebody who could talk and was new and fresh. And, uh, he said, okay, we're going to put you in bad company. You know, um, I, I didn't even know who they were. Pat Tanaka, one of the greatest workers ever. And Paul Diamond was really good, too. But Pat was unbelievable. Pat was 5'8". Bumping <laughs> me, machine. Look, bumping machine. Look at me. here. I My legs are spread out about. You can see them. I'm spreading my legs out like this so I can get shorter, you know. But Pat was unbelievable. Took the fastest back. Back bump, I've ever seen, and you know, just flat back. Uh, but I'm in the locker room and I've gone out for two shows because we filmed four one-hour shows, and uh Kurt Henning's sitting across from me, and he he looks at me and he goes, Do it, Diamond. I love what that I love that do it. I go, do what? He goes, That thing you do. I yeah, I don't He's me or what? what thing he goes god <laughs> and i said good god and it was funny because that comes from the nightclub in me being in the dj booth beta and i i don't know who did it first but me and beta who i just saw bubba i was at uh, tony Cafaro's daughter's wedding i came up and did a surprise show up and uh i had so much fun with beta and tony and everybody and Uh, It was a great time, but me and Hennig really bonded. And then after, after the show, we went to the bar, you know, and he said to me, and this was those days and Bubba, you came up through these days. So did you, Mark? He said, you will make more relationships at this bar than you ever will, you know, in a locker room or, you know, uh, in a match, he said in the car and in the bar, he said, that's where you're going to make. And we bonded big time. He was so cool to me when he went up to WWE. Um, he, uh, we stayed in touch, you know, I could come see him on the road. You know, he'd take the time, <clears throat> uh, you know, and you know how a lot of the guys <laughs> they forget other people. Henning was not like that though. He was a super cool dude.
0: You know that was what 1988 when you when you went to AW. So the one thing about Vern Gagne and maybe you can clear this up because a lot of people talk about Vern Gagne in the AWA that he really wanted to solely focus on true athleticism and amateur wrestling and didn't really like the colorful characters or the outside the box. But I I don't know if that's just an untruth because. If you look at some of the more colorful characters, they did come out of the AWA. Am I wrong? You know, I don't
1: think that uh, he didn't like colorful characters. I think he wanted the athletic prowess to come with it.
2: Okay. And he, that,
1: that guy was an Olympia. You know, he was, like, he was like Kurt Angle to a certain degree. Nobody's like Kurt Angle. And if you haven't seen Kurt Angle's WWE biography, you gotta watch it. It's great. Um, nobody's Kurt Angle, but Vern Gagne for the time was Kurt Angle, you know, and he was a shooter and he could do what he wanted to do in a day where that was really important, you know, <laughs> especially, you know, what was going to happen when you went out there, you know? Um, and it's funny where I almost started because my match, my, my three matches all happened in, in, uh, not uh, November and December of 1979. If I don't get hurt and get sidelined, and if I don't get the shot to run my first little rock and roll bar, could have been a whole different life for me. I'm so glad it happened exactly the way it did, because I wouldn't change a thing. Not even the way. I came into WWE, wasn't my favorite. What they did would be five years later, much better. But, you know, coming in there and not getting what I wanted, people's champion versus people's champion, you know, it's why I've been so successful following that. Because the biggest lesson I learned is you can't be afraid to walk away from the table when you know you got something and i knew i had something to offer and you know i don't know if they ever would have used it they they lightened up obviously on wcw as the years went on but you know coming in there that first guy was going to get crushed and that was me <laughs> you know today i can laugh about it you know but back then i wasn't laughing
3: Paige, have you had an opportunity yet to see the episode of Tales from the Territories that will air tomorrow night?
1: No, I haven't. No, I haven't. I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, Ken Patera, Brian Blair, uh Greg, uh, Greg Gagne, who, I gotta tell you a story, Greg, who gave me my first break ever, comes into WCW, they got him on the booking committee. At some point, he leaves the booking committee, and he comes down to the power plant. And I'm living at the power plant. I'm the first there. I'm the last to leave. I'm trying to set the example of look how hard I'm going to work. I'm going to, I know nobody thinks I'm going to make it, but I do. And it only takes one person to believe in you and that's you. But Ganya, who, gave me my first break. You know, it's kind of like coming up to the coach and, you know, like you're asking him different questions, but he's answering the other guy who he knows is going to make, going to turn into something and be somebody. And I can't get the guy to even, you know, barely talk to me. So one night we're in a strip joint called the gold club and him and Mike Graham. And I was there with, I can't remember who I was there with, but I ended up talking to Mike. And then at some point I looked at Greg, And I said, Greg, I go, why do you hate me? I go, what? You gave me my first break. I go, I don't get it. He goes, he goes, I don't hate you, Diamond. I said, okay, you don't think I'm going to make it, do you? He said, honestly? I said, honestly. He said, no, I don't. I said, okay, tell me the one thing I don't have. And he thought about it. And I mean, it took like 30 seconds. And he said, Charisma. And I spit my beer out of my mouth. And I was like, okay, I know you, know, you You got no time for me, bro. I get it. And I was like, there's two things you can't tell me I don't have, charisma and know how to talk. You know, Because I came out of the womb with charisma. And I walked away from it. Now I'm at Mean Gene Okerlund's funeral, 20 plus years later. I thought that was going to be a who's who of wrestling. I was there, you know, I was there. Kevin Dunn was there from WWE. Uh, Kerwin was there. No one else from the office at Mean Jeans. No one else in the company. Greg Gagne was there. Brian Blair was there. Um, uh, Jim Brunzel, who's also in the uh, AWA uh, uh, Tales from the uh, from the Road. Um Greg Gagne walked up to me and he put out his hand and he shook my hand and he said, Diamond, I am, I got to be honest, man. He goes, I am so sorry. I I was wrong about you. I wasn't wrong about many. He goes, but I was wrong about you and I should have given you the time. I mean, what a man to stand up and say that, you know? And I said, Greg, I go, thank you so much, bro. I go, but to be honest, bro, you gave me the most motivation of anybody. Of no one pushed me in my head more than you did. And he goes, well, I just want you to know, I'm so proud of you, and what you did, what you accomplished. And like I said, I was wrong. I feel really bad about it. I go, no, no, no big deal, bro. And so as I'm, you know, go to the bar afterwards for the funeral, as we're getting ready to leave, Greg came up to me again, gave me a hug, friggin', you know, apologized again. I'm like, Greg, we're good. Since that day, we have become really, really good friends. And so when I heard that we were doing this, I was psyched to come because I knew he was going to be there. and, And I got to spend some more quality time with him. He's a class act, man. I love the guy now.
0: When you went into the AWA in 1988, that was probably near the end. Uh, You know, the doors have been closed on that company for 30 years now. Did you notice that it was nearing the end or were you just so happy to be a part of it that you probably didn't see what most people saw at that time?
1: No, I saw it. (laughs) When Kurt Heading left, the writing was on the wall because Kurt, you know, I was there with Kurt, the nasty boys. The Nasty Boys came, oh my God. <laughs> the stories of the Nasty Boys, which you could never tell. Oh my God, they're just shaking their heads. There's nobody like the Nasty Boys. And I started with them in the AWA and then in Florida Championship Wrestling with Dusty. Um, it's going to be really fun to see what they use because they're filming my biography now my WWE biography. Uh, It's going to be really interesting of all the stuff that they'll have from the AWA and Florida Championship Wrestling. Because at one time in Florida Championship Wrestling was me uh, as an announcer and, and manager with Gordon Soley, of course, Dusty. You got Bam Bam Bigelow, Terry Funk, Scott Hall, Dustin Rhodes, the Nasty Boys. I mean... They're really, if it would have been like today, it's a hell of a roster, yeah. <laughs> you know? And Scott Hall, that's where I, Johnny Laurinaitis and, of course, Mark, Marcus uh, Laurinaitis. Um But uh, you could have, uh, that. that's where I came up with the idea of the Diamond Stud. F- for Laurinaitis and for uh, Mark Laurinaitis and Joe- Johnny Laurinaitis, I wanted to call them the diamond studs. And later when Scott called me and I was in WCW and nobody would take Scott Hall's call from New York or Atlanta. Why? Cause he'd been, well, he'd been to, you know, Atlanta twice and didn't get over. And when he said the thing about the diamond stud, and then when I called Magnum and asked him if I could you know bring him in to be part of my stable, he, he asked Dusty, and Dusty he said, I love the kid, but uh, he didn't get over. And, well, That had a lot to do with booking, but that also had a lot to do with he wasn't ready yet. But we all know what happened. You know, We came and he did this thing with me, and I changed his look, and then he went up to WWE and became, oh, Razor Ramon, maybe the most memorable characters of all time, and then Scott Hall, NWO, so he just wasn't ready yet. But he got ready, boy.
0: Well, I want to wow. thank you. Thank you for everything you've done. And, again, thank you for giving us, always giving us your time. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, boys. Appreciate y'all. I love you,
0: boys. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream the podcast. Catch the full three hours of Busted Open Monday through Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern on XM Nation, channel 156. Go to SiriusXM.com backslash Open Trial to start your free trial today. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal